we are in the Christmas season, and sometimes we find ourselves in just feeling a little grinchy, a little grunchy. <laughs> I'm crunchy. We feel a little grinchy this Christmas, sometimes, maybe all Christmas. Holidays are not always fun. They're not always smiles. It might feel a little bit like this. Look at this picture on the screen here. You might feel yeah. a little bit like that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's the holiday. You just feel like, oh, this is a, when can it be over? I, I have at times been a little grinchy no, in my life. No. I sure have. Sometimes I am. And here's what I have found out for me is that when I get stressed and I'm kind of feeling hot on the emotional end, I start looking around me to see who I can blame. Because usually there, I, I have the feeling of there's somebody that's getting in my way. Not you. You can't be the one to blame. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can't right. blame myself. It definitely has to be somebody else. Right. When things are going wrong, usually this feeling overwhelms me. It's because of people <laughs> that things are going wrong. So we brought with us one of my favorite clips this morning. Um, if you grew up in the watching TV in the 90s, then you're familiar with the show called Seinfeld. If not, then it, it would behoove you to go research that and get all those episodes off of whatever, Hulu, Netflix, I don't know where they are, but they're great. This one is the Festivus, one of the Festivus clips. So um, this guy is so grouchy, so grinchy, and it's always somebody else's fault. He's always looking out for himself, and this guy has created his own holiday instead of Christmas, and for him it probably should have been Hanukkah, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not sure, but he celebrates Festivus. He created it himself, and it begins with him just being grinchy. And here's how that starts out. Watch this clip. Hey, happy Festivus, everyone! <laughs> it's a Festivus miracle! <laughs> Let's begin. Oh. Welcome, newcomers. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grapes. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now you're gonna hear about it. So yeah, being um, uh, selfish and uh, being uh, all about me, all about I, that's really something that we're born with. It's just encoded in our DNA. In fact, there's going to be a kind of a, a diagram, a description of what we're talking about. It is, it's born in me to be a selfish person. We insist from the crib that it's about me. Then we move on to the high chair and we say, it's about me. And then as we go and we begin life in, on the playground, it's still about me. And as we go on as teenagers and as parents, it's all about me. And in, in our places of work or as we're dealing with our families or in our free time, it's all about me. And as we become retirees and maybe you know in the hospital or in a retirement home or whatever the case may be, it's all about me. It is in my DNA that from the cradle all the way to the grave, it's all about me. It's about self. And, and really, this side of heaven, we as, a, as, a, as people, we are bent toward selfishness. Yeah, so that selfishness bent, uh, actually, it's a habit. And that habit is rooted in sin. 
And that habit of selfishness, it impacts every single area of our lives. It is also the source of most of our problems with other people. Uh, It is also the source of much of the heartache and the hurt that we experience. Because selfish people are naturally people who begin to manipulate other people so they can get what they want. And you can relate to that. You, you don't feel safe. We do not feel safe around selfish people. Do you know why? I think it may be because we can't trust them. We can't trust a selfish person because they, aren't, they are looking out for themselves and they are not looking out for us. They don't have our best interest in mind, just theirs. So perhaps, as we're talking about um, selfishness and as we're talking about focusing on oneself and how it's really encoded in our DNA to to be that way from the cradle all the way to the grave, uh, we would say that the opposite of selfishness, we believe the opposite of selfishness would be another S word, serving. Um, And serving has to begin with an attitude, much like selfishness is, is an attitude. Serving begins with an attitude. It's not natural. It is not natural for me to be a servant. Far from it. It's natural for me to be selfish. Uh, I do not have to do anything. I did not have to learn the ability to be a selfish person. I do, however, have to learn how to be a servant. In fact, I really can't learn how to be a servant in the long term because being a servant is not natural. It's beyond natural. We might say that it is supernatural. And something that's supernatural, that means that there has to be something of a superpower that's involved with me growing into being a servant. Um, some, something or someone that is big enough, strong enough, uh, powerful enough, loving enough, and righteous enough to defeat what's so natural in me to be a very selfish person focused only on me. Now, We can force ourselves in a short period of time in our own abilities. Maybe I should just say me. I don't want to say, I don't want to lump everybody in. So I'll just talk about myself. I can force myself in a very short period of time in my own flesh and my own ability to be a servant in spurts. I can do that. Uh, If I read something that motivates me or maybe I hear a a teaching message or I see something on television or, you know, I I can be motivated to be a servant. I can be motivated to impact those around me, but it's hard to keep doing that. It's really, uh, it's very difficult for me to do that over the long term. It's very difficult for me to do that in myself and in my own abilities. It's very difficult for me to live a life serving others every day and serving others in a way that's real. You can't really force that. You can, uh, you can do it on the short term and you can fool people for a period of time, but when it comes to actually making a real change in my life to go from being bent on selfishness to being a servant, that's supernatural. That has to happen from somebody a heck of a lot bigger than I. And that's really what Christmas is about. That's kind of what we're talking about uh, when we talk about this Christmas season. It's God's powerful presence actually literally coming to live among us and to save us from ourselves because 
the one of the main things that we have we learn about Jesus himself in the four gospels and some of the things that we're going to talk about today the main thing that we learn about Jesus he was a servant every single day which is something that you just can't fake can't fake that you know and so you mentioned the four gospels well paul wrote most of the rest of the new testament and Paul wrote his in the form of letters to churches. And this one letter, a, a portion of it that we have been looking at through this series, and we're going to look at some more today, he's writing to some of his favorite people. He really had a soft spot in his heart for these people because um, at, the, at the Church of Philippi because they served Paul, and Paul served them. And Paul had received some word back that there were some people inside the church who were beginning to kind of get caught up in themselves to they were becoming a little bit selfish and Paul knew how dangerous that attitude which leads to action was how infectious that that could be for the church and so here's what Paul wrote we read this the previous weeks Philippians chapter 2, and he's speaking here in verse 3 to the church, and he says, don't be selfish. He got word they were selfish. He said, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. And he gives them, and an instead, do this. He says, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. And he's not talking about false modesty. He's talking about the real thing. He, he's not talking about uh, saying things to people just to get them to do what you want, that's manipulation. He's not talking about just this, this over-the-top form of humility and showing people, oh, I'm so humble. He's not talking about that. That's false humility. He's not talking about exaggerated flattery like, uh, you know, giving, just throwing out these compliments just to make people feel good to get what you want. He's saying, no, 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 no. The result of false humility, that's not what we want. Do you know what that result is? False humility, it has a result, and the result is actually the opposite of what we want. It is more focus on the self. False humility draws more attention to ourselves. And you know what happens as a result of that? It repulses other people. It pushes them away. You hear us talk a lot about advancing the relationship, our desire to be in friendships and relationships with people around us and allow God to use that relationship to encourage people and help them make their way to Jesus. Advancing the relationship. But this does not advance the relationship. False humility does not advance it. You know what false humility does? It does the opposite. It makes people run away from us. Real humility is this. As Paul said, it's thinking of others as better than ourselves. And it's placing them as important and valuable here in our mind. Now today, what we're talking about today is intensely 
practical. It was very, very practical. And we always try to be practical. Every Sunday as we go through our teaching series and as we uh, teach each Sunday, we always want to be practical. We always want to have some practical next steps and some action steps that we can take into our week, we can take into our families, into our, uh, our work, and, and, and into our daily lives during our week. We always want to be practical. But today is really as practical as we're ever going to get. I mean, there, this we have, are going to have some very, very significant action steps, next steps as we go through uh, the remainder of, of this specific teaching message. Uh, and I'm going to kind of give you an opportunity just for a second and kind of give you the end of the story just, just a little bit, just to give you a little bit of the end of the story. Everything we're talking about, really everything that we have been talking about throughout this series, it's all for the purpose of having the opportunity to introduce people to a relationship with Jesus. It's giving us the ability to uh, earn the right to introduce people into a relationship with Jesus. And so all of these practical things that we're going to talk about, these next steps that we're going to go over here in the next few minutes, uh, it's, it's all for the purpose of bringing people into a relationship with Jesus. So today is intensely practical, and we're not just talking about changing our way of thinking today. Weeks one and weeks two, it was really about our mind. It was about the way we changed, uh, the way we thought, I should say. It was about our attitudes. Well, today we're taking it to the next step and actually looking for a change in behavior. Uh, today we're going to, again, ask you to do something in your relationships and in your friendships. We're going to ask you to do something in the friendships that maybe you don't know all that well. Maybe you don't know at all. We're going to ask you to take some very important action steps because it all starts with what Paul is talking about in chapter 2, verse 4 of Philippians. Paul says, don't look out only for your own interests. Now, he's saying we can't just be consumed with our interests. We can't just be consumed... Um, with what makes us happy and, and what's uh, you know, important to us. Now, he is not saying that our interests are unimportant or, un or inferior. In no way. Paul's not saying that what we want and our interests aren't important. He's simply saying it, it can't just be about that. Paul's saying um, we can't just focus on ourselves. We can't just focus on our own needs and our own schedules and our own fears and hurts. Uh, dreams, accomplishments, or really even our own challenges. Yeah. And so he's saying, don't, don't just think of others. Don't just think of others as better or valuable. Because that alone could lead to false humility. Paul wants us to move from thinking to doing. From thinking to caring. And so how do we care for them? Well, Paul answers that. He gives us the answer. He says, so don't look out just for your interests. And he says, but take an interest in others too. And then if you were to sneak down a few more verses, you would see that Paul tells us in verse 14 a very specific attitude related to how we take care of the interests of others, how we approach this. And here's what he said in verse 14. Do everything without complaining and arguing. Paul kind of making it tough. He's making it difficult making it for tough. us. He says you can't just take care of the interests of others. It's important in how you do that, with what attitude you do, because Paul knows the root of grumbling and complaining is also selfishness. Somebody's not happy. Somebody's not being pleased. Someone's not getting their way when they want it, how they want it. 
Paul knows. That if someone is grumbling and they're complaining, they are stuck. They are stuck looking at their own interest. And in fact, even if we do something for someone else to help them, but we're grumbling and complaining, we might as well not do it at all. There's no benefit in that if we are complaining about doing it. Paul knows that that is dangerous. He knows that it is infectious. He knows that it is contagious. And he knows how quickly that selfishness can grow inside of a church and how quickly it can poison the relationships in that church. And he knows that it is hard to kill selfishness, this infection, before it does a great amount of damage inside of a church. So this deadly infection can be killed if we will allow God to help us to take our eyes off of ourselves and to lovingly, that's an attitude, joyfully, that's an attitude that is chosen to place them on other people. So Paul is saying we care for others by making a conscious determined decision to put them and their needs ahead of our own. Not natural. Not, not in our DNA. Supernatural. It can only happen through a superpower. Um, we need... We, we, i got to get that off. We, we need to, uh, to learn to focus on, on their needs. We, we talk, it's not hard for me to focus on what I want in my schedules, and, and, uh, but it's a lot more difficult for me to focus on their schedule. It's not hard for me to focus on my fears and my hurts, but it is much more difficult for me to focus on their fears and their hurts, on their dreams and their accomplishments. And on their challenges. That, that's, that's something that can only happen through the intervention of a supernatural, uh, supernatural God. I mean, and Paul's, I mean, he's saying, can, can you see what I'm talking about here? Um, it's not enough to simply think of someone as better than I am. That's what we talked about last week, thinking of people as better than what we are. Not to say that anyone's better than us, but to think of them in that way, an attitude in the way we think. Paul's saying instead, not enough to just think we actually have to treat those um, people whose needs and concerns as if their needs and concerns surpass my own and in this and in, in in being able to do this that is the cure for some things we've talked about for selfish ambition vain conceit grumbling complaining and the infection that all of those things are that can take over not only my life as a person, but in really any avenue that I find myself in, whether it be a workplace, at church, at home, it happens through serving. Yeah. And any little bit of selfishness that we have in our lives, it decays relationship. But on the other hand, putting the interest of others ahead of our own interest, that actually safeguards relationships. Zig Ziglar was not just a motivational speaker. He was an uh, uh, just he he was a Christ follower who just 
chased after and pursued Christ. He became a Christ follower after he was already an adult. And here's what he has to say, which is similar to what we're talking about today. He says, if we will help enough other people get what they want in life, in other words, put their needs ahead of ours, then we will always get what we want in life. Zig Ziglar is saying the same thing Paul was saying. That's where he probably learned it. We put them first. And Paul is saying that's the way it should be. That's the way it is supposed to be in the church. That's what it can be. A church family where there is no vain conceit. A church family where there's no selfish ambition. A church environment where uh, the people in the church are thinking of the others as valuable. And I want you to know, because of you, we are becoming that kind of church. We are learning to serve people inside the church. But we don't stop there. Cole reminded me of that this week. We also are individuals in this church who are also learning to serve people outside of the church. And I'm not talking about social programs. I'm talking about personal, one-on-one, life-on-life interactions, you and other people, you and someone else. Where one life at a time, Each one of us are learning to find ways to serve other people out there who are not yet connected to Stuttgart Harvest Church and putting their needs above our needs. Does that make any sense? I hope it does. That each one of us individually learning to serve people out there before we serve ourselves. And... When enough individuals do that, we become a church, a church as a whole, who serves others before we serve ourselves. And that's basically, I think, what Paul is saying. This is the new normal. Becoming an individual who puts others' needs ahead of our own. And when enough of us do that, it becomes a part of our identity, our church. So Paul is saying, really, to be a part of of Stuttgart Harvest Church, it means that first we are beginning to choose as individuals to put others before us. Now here's what Paul is not saying. Paul is not saying that we don't take care of things in our own lives. Paul's not making a statement uh, saying that we shouldn't take care of our business and we shouldn't uh, take care of our needs and, and the things that we need in our daily lives. He's not saying that at all. In fact, if we go back to the scripture in verse 4 and we kind of continue on, Paul writes, don't look out only for your own interest. And then he continues on and he says, but take an interest in others too. Take an interest in others too. Don't just stop at you. Take it to the next level. Take it at the next step. He uses the word to. Um, that you may also be able to use the word also. Paul's saying, yeah, take care of your business, but also take care of others. We do take, take, take care of things that are in our lives. We have to. That would be against the truth of Scripture, not to take care of our own personal business. And it would really ruin any testimony that we have had the ability to develop through what we're talking about. 
So absolutely, we take care of ourselves and we take care of the, the, the needs of our families. But Paul says you take care of others too. And not just as a leftover. Not just as, okay, I've taken care of me, I've taken care of my family, I've taken care of everything, and you know what? I've got a little bit left over. I've got a little bit of uh, mental bandwidth left over. I've got a little bit of money left over. I've got a little bit of time left over. So now, now I'm going to move over and I'm going to start, you know, use that, use those resources to help others. That's not what Paul's talking about. Not as a second thought. In fact, verse 3, according to verse 3, Paul tells us that we actually add others as a top priority. Yeah. Not, not, again, not natural, not in my DNA to think that way. Paul says we add others as a top priority. Not me first, them, then us. Yeah. So all of that leads us now to what we said would be intensely practical. The Christmas dare for this week. Now, as I talk about this, the band's going to be making their way up, but please don't check out. This is very important. This is where our tires are going to get traction, okay, in this whole thing. The Christmas dare for this week. Here, there's four steps to this. Here's the first. We are going to actually ask you, step number one, to talk to them and them people who are not yet connected with Stuttgart Harvest Church, not active in another church. We, I, we, I'm not concerned about where they say that they're going. I'm concerned about if they really do go or not. And if they don't, these are the people I'm talking about. We, we need to actually talk to them, to ask them questions about their life, about their day. That is, I believe, one way that we can actually not just look out for our own interests, but take an interest in other people. Take an interest in them. And to do that, we actually have to, to talk to them. <laughs> I know. Right? It is a lost art, the art of conversation, because we so quickly, everything in our culture is coming, really, it's, it's isolating us. I mean, we go into Walmart now, and we get our stuff. We don't have to talk to anybody going in. We don't have to talk to anybody while we're there. And we don't even have to talk to anybody while we check out, hit that self-checkout line. I'm not suggesting that you need to go and stand in line to, to that one person checking out 500 people. No, I'm not talking about that. But I'm just saying our culture lends itself to us being isolated and to losing the art of conversation. And the art of conversation really cannot happen in a text message. I love text messaging, and it's so quick and helpful and useful at times, but that is not conversation. And we cannot have a life-on-life, -life, a one-on-one -on -one relationship through text. We're talking about actually talking to somebody. And we're going to ask you to do that this week. Join Cole and I. We're taking the challenge as well. As we take this Christmas dare, number one, the first part is to actually Talk to them. Ask them questions about their life, about their day. And then here's the second step to that. Then we have to listen to them. <laughs> you can't just talk to them. You have to actually listen to them as well. Paul, Paul is saying, don't just look out for your own interests, 
but look out for them too. And so for us to look out, we kind of got to watch out. We got to look. We've got to investigate. And I think we can do that by then listening very closely to the answers that they give us, not formulating what we're going to say next, but listen to what they're saying. So the first step is to talk to them. The second step is to listen to them. And the third step is as we investigate by listening, as we look out by listening, watch out by listening, now, third step, we're going to write down whatever we discover. If we discover a need, if we discover something that is among their interests, some kind of need that they have. We need to take note. We need to write that down. And I would encourage you to literally, when that conversation is finished, when you go your separate ways, to write down that need. Either write it on a piece of paper, keep a piece of paper in your pocket, or you know what? You can actually text yourself. You can send a text to yourself. Write that need down. Text it to yourself so you don't forget. So we're going to talk to them. We're going to listen to them. We're going to write down a need when we find it. And here's the fourth thing, the last thing we're going to ask you to do. The fourth thing says this, and do something about it. That's it. You see, I, I want to be careful here. Because the old way to do church, and I'm not talking about the first century when Paul was writing. They, 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 were, they had it going on. They were doing it right in many ways. I'm talking about, you know, the late 1900s. Some of you were around. <laughs> we're talking about the early 21st century. That's all of us right now. The old way to do church. Let me tell you how that goes. The old way to do church, somebody is talking to someone or they see something and they see a need. And so they pick up their phone and they call me. Or they call Cole. And here's what they say. You know what? I was talking to this person, whatever, 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 and I discovered this. They need this. Is there anything we can do about it? And by we, according to my experience in this, according to we, when they say, is there anything we can do about it, what they really mean is, Harley, is there anything that you're going to do? What are you going to do about it, Harley? Here's what I discovered. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to fix that? How are you going to solve it? How are you going to help that? And, and, and they make the we... Stuttgart Harvest Church, but in the we, they're saying, you, Harley, I am not Stuttgart Harvest Church. It is not this building. It's not who answers the phone. It's not who sends a Facebook. No, no, no. The we in church, it is each one of us individuals. And when God places you in the path of someone else's interests, then he has given you the task, the opportunity of taking your eyes off yourself and onto them and you being involved in the answer. And I am so grateful. It rarely happens at Stuttgart Harvest Church. In the early days, a lot. Now, today, in 2019, it is so rare that I get a call that says, this is what I discovered. Is there anything we, you, Harley, can do about it? What are you going to do about it? I rarely get that call. Do you know why? Because you are beginning to get this. We are learning this. That we are the church. We have the opportunity. And I, I do want to be very careful here because please hear this. You can't 
be everything to everyone. You can't. You weren't meant to. God did not design you to be everything to everyone. That's the old style of church when everything went back to the pastor. How are you going to fix this? How are you going to meet this need? You weren't meant to do that. In fact, you can't even be everything to anyone. But do you know what you can? You can be something to someone. If God puts them in your path, you can help them some way. You might have some way to, to meet that need. Or you might have a friend who could help you meet that need. Or you might know some other way to meet that need. You might be a piece of the puzzle. A part of the solution. I guess what we're really asking you is this. Do what you can with what you have. And you say, Harley, I, I don't have anything. Well, you know what? You might only have encouragement and kindness, but that is huge. You might have sincere prayers to offer them. You might have some kind of skill that you've learned that could help. You might have some physical resources you might know some other people who could come alongside of you and help. Resources, contacts, kindness, and encouragement. We all have something. Here's a way to look at it. If we were to do this, will we be more effective in this world or will we be less effective? Exactly. If we were to do this, have we made it easier to invite them or harder to invite them? Exactly. So this week, the Christmas dare is simply this. One, let's talk to them. Let's relearn the art of conversation. Number two, let's listen for their need. Number three, let's write it down. Number four, do something. Do something. Do something with what you have. If we do, we're not just looking out for our own interest. We're looking out for the interest of others also. If we don't, then we're only looking out for ourselves. Let's pray. God, this is not natural for us. God, this is going to take you. It's going to take you changing us. And this is a supernatural change. And many of us right now are asking you to begin to create that change in our hearts. Give us the courage to have the interest in others. Give us the courage, God, to talk to them. And give us the wisdom to listen to them. And give us the wisdom, God, to understand their need. 
Give us the boldness then to do what we can with what we have. And in the process, may you, Father, may you receive all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. Because God, if this were left just to me, I would live just for myself and just for mine. But God, you're changing me. You're changing us. You are changing lives throughout the world, Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen.